kind of a dream like five years in the making is when I first heard about the Triple Crown and thought, I think I want to do that and just started getting more into backpacking and, you know, Wonderland Trail for the test hike and this and that. And it finally coming to fruition. The finish line's almost there. And it's like, and now, now at the end is when I'm starting to think about quitting. It's, you know, it's not when I first started on the AT or, you know, like hiking through crappy parts of whatever. It's like now at the very end, I'm finally just over it and sick of being the only hiker out here and not seeing people and missing my fiance. Welcome to the end of March, which is absolutely crazy, and the Hiking Through Podcast, which isn't quite so crazy, where we pull up a seat at the campfire and have a conversation about all things through hiking. I'm Erin Egan, and today's guest is Space Jam, known off-trail as Kevin Grumman. He came to through hiking kind of from the side, a story he totally tells in this episode. He also fell in love just as he began the Triple Crown Adventure, which definitely colored his entire journey, and even led him to hiking the PCT with his partner, Sea Lion. In this episode, we talk the eternal struggle between earning money and living your best life, pro tips and hiker hacks, the Dozen Dip Challenge, and the Appalachian Pine Mixer. You can find this episode at hiking-through.com, as well as on our brand new Hiking Through channel on YouTube. You can also find us on Apple Podcast and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with Space Jam. You had, I mean, you had three adventures. So congratulations mm-hmm. on the Triple Crown. Thank you. Um, but you had quite the adventures. I mean, it was a roller coaster, it seemed like. It really was for that three Two and a half to three years, uh, I counted up. I moved 14 times in that time frame. So it was like, um, I own a house in Baltimore. So I was renting that out and had a couple weeks before I started the trail. So then it's kind of moving out of the house and it's on the trail. And then at mom's basement for a couple weeks and then a sublet for a couple weeks, and then a house. And then out of that house into my house as I got rented again and rinse and repeat for three more trails. So it got hectic and uh, just kind of nonstop moving. So uh, sea lion or Nandi from your guest from a couple weeks ago yeah. and I are very happy to be somewhat stationary for more than three months. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, there, there's a, there's a, a entertainment value. There's a whatever to being on the move and that kind of thing, but it can get old really fast. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> but one of the things that I loved about, because I I I, I uh, looked at your Instagram and I looked at your YouTube channel and it was so funny to me. Like, okay, yes, it was a triple crown. It was seven thousand and whatever miles and and all of that. But it really seemed to be your search for things that you could either climb or jump off of into the water. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got me there. Those are definitely two of my favorite things to do. Uh, you know, if you have the the right setting, you don't really need any equipment. You know, like I like, I like rock climbing, but I'm not going to hold climbing shoes and a harness and ropes and stuff on the trail. Um, I've since gotten into mountain biking, same deal, not bike packing and all the extra tools and stuff you need to carry. So when I could get 
any little break from the grueling and repetitiveness of just walking, I definitely mm-hmm. tried to take it. Yeah, it was, I again, like watching your videos and seeing the stuff that you were jumping off of mm-hmm. into the water. I was just like bridges, rocks, trees or branches stuck out. Yeah, swings. <laughs> yeah, it was it was everything. And some of those were not the warmest pools of water either. Right. Guess uh did you see that's one of my very proud things on the CDT the, the dozen dip challenge? I did not see all of that. Okay, no. so I'm sure you know on the AT, there's all these challenges, you know, the half gallon challenge, the four state challenge, this and that. And, uh, you know, there's just a whole community that comes along with that. And on the CDT, there's really just nothing similar. So going through the Wind River Range in Wyoming, uh, there's an alternate route called the Cirque of the Towers, which I think pretty much everyone takes because the, the cliffs and rock formations are just out of this world. But I noticed the trail goes right past a lot of lakes. and on previous times, I would try to do a, like a triple dip and see if I can swim in three lakes in a day. So I was starting off with that. I was kind of set up to be doing the entire alternate route. I think it's about 12 to 13 miles all in a day. So I was thinking, all right, I'll do three of these swims in a day. And then I realized that there's maybe 10 lakes. So I said, all right, maybe I'll do 10 of the lakes and trying to just make a catchy title, like deck, deck a dip or something. And <laughs> configure it but then i realized if i took like an alt route on the alt route i could hit another two lakes and make it a dozen so that was kind of set and some of those were extremely cold but i swam in all 12 lakes in a single day so to any future aspiring cdt hikers out there i encourage you to do the dozen dip challenge and swim in every lake on the circuit of towers alt route in the wind river range get it done (laughs) take your it yep (laughs) So, so you did the alt route and then what was the additional alt route that you did? It was just another path. Uh, so you could hit clear Lake and deep Lake. Okay. And, um, that's one of the things that's really amazing on the CDT is if you get the, the lay alternate routes, this hiker, Jonathan lay just been keeping his PDF copies. So one is good to have as a backup in case your GPS dies or anything like that. Cause pretty much everyone needs hooks now, but he has, tons and tons and tons of all these alternate routes that just go all over the place. There's one, you know, just slightly off trail is a pit that native Americans used to hot to herd bison in. So they'd fall in the pit and were easy to kill. There's just a pit full of bison bones. Um, tons of just like other peaks to hit lakes, old mining ruins, like really just endless stuff. So definitely make sure to get those maps and, and check out any alt route. You feel like the, the whole, purest mentality that exists more on the AT just does not exist on the CDT. It's just hike your own hike, go wherever you want, check it all out. Now, what were those maps again? Uh, Jonathan Lay, L-E-Y. Okay. You uh, just Google Lay or CDT Lay maps. You'll, you'll pretty much find them. Perfect. And I mean, I think that's the one, one of the things that separates the CDT from the other trails is that it's all about the alternate sort of like you can go yeah. one way or the other and and there's or at least I haven't heard that there's any shame about going one way versus the other because they're equally part of the CDT. Yeah, that's what I gather too. There's yeah, just go every way you want and not a single person is going to try to say like oh you're not through hiker or like you took the easy route or yeah. whatever maybe. 
Well, and it's funny that you say that because what was, or when you were talking about the alternates that Jonathan was mentioning in his maps, the thing that went through my head was, so you can do the through hike and then you can also do a tour of Mm -hmm. these sites that, you know, that he's mentioning on his, on his maps. Yeah. Definitely a way to look at his, uh, yeah, like side quests. kind of. Exactly. <laughs> Get all D and D. What set you on this path to begin with? Uh, it's kind of a long story, but, uh, I guess I'll hop back to the start. <laughs> <laughs> so I started playing rugby in college and then joined a, a senior men's team or like a men's club after college. And, the rugby world cup was being hosted in New Zealand in 2011 and I had just bought my house. So I did not have money to fly around the world and go to that. And then for the next year or two, all my teammates that went just kept talking about how amazing New Zealand was and how beautiful it was and hiking was crazy. And there's just so much stuff to do. So I kind of started getting my head. All right. Now that I've had my house and I've replenished my funds and I think I want to go to New Zealand and I was ready to just all my vacation, go by myself, hitchhike around, do the uh, organic farm volunteering stuff or stay at hostels. And they have a lot, there's a really big backpacking scene there. And then as I was kind of planning, one of my friends, Sam was like, Hey, I'm going to be in between jobs. So I think I'm going to come to Zion with you. Sweet. Come on, man. You're invited. And he said, let's, uh, let's get motorcycles and just ride motorcycles all over the, the country. That sounds awesome. Let's do that. So we started planning more and the mother good friend, Nick realized he wanted to join. So he hopped on kind of last minute and then even more last minute, my brother and his girlfriend Anne decided to join us, but they had a car. So they kind of did their thing. We meet up every couple of days or so, but that was really my first taste of this kind of dirt bag, nomadic hiker trash lifestyle where I may have had a motorcycle and a little more luxuries, but I still a couple of times went a couple of days without seeing people. You don't really know where you're going to sleep that night or where your next meal is going to come from. And a lot of the back roads we were on, you were just in it and you couldn't just call AAA for help or anything. If your bike broke, you had to fix it. If something crashed, if you got hurt, you know, you had to get yourself out of there. So that's what first kind of put the wanderlust in me or got bit by the travel bug, whatever you want to call it. And then right when I got home from that, well, a couple months later, so that was, um, 2013 14, my good friend Carrot Trail, well, rugby nickname Carrot, real name Eric, trail name Pigpen. God. <laughs> girlfriend Blocks were doing the Pacific Crest Trail. And I had never heard about through hiking before this. So he went off and did that. And following along on, on Snapchat and seeing his adventures kind of piqued my interest. And then what really kind of hit, hit it home for me was when we talked about finances when he got home. And I spent more on a five-week trip to New Zealand than he did on a five-month hike. So that's what I kind of realized. It's a similar experience, but one really maximizes the the amount of time you can stretch your dollars out. So that's what kind of started me in backpacking and then fell down the rabbit hole that every new backpacker goes down with gear and endless searching about, you know, hammock or tent, lighter or not lighter. Is it worth another $300 just to shave an ounce? And doing all that endless research. Um, so that's when I really got into backpacking and then went with blocks and pig pen to do the wonderland trail in 2016. And that was kind of my final test. You know, if I can do a hundred miles 
if I really like it and I survive and everything, if I feel like I can do that 20 times in a row, that's essentially the Appalachian Trail. So everything went great. And 2017 is when I kicked off my three-year triple crown extravaganza and loved every second of it. Now, did you, you picked a hammock, right? Like that was, yeah, that became your, that was my go-to. Yeah. Hammocks, whole thing on the AT and then the PCT I did with sea lion. So it just made a lot more sense to share a tent. You could split the weight and uh, the campsites and availability. It just was kind of a no brainer in my opinion. And then the CDT, I hammocked the entire thing except for New Mexico because it started to get back in that terrain where you'd have to really plan your days and and camp only at certain spots where there are trees and didn't really want to deal with that. So I just uh, switched to the tent and I was a ground peasant again, as we call it. A ground pre- peasant. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, everybody that I've talked to who does hammock has complimentary things to say about it basically like everybody becomes a diehard about it yeah i was i was there more more of just kind of a friendly goading and and jesting you know uh making fun of friends like calling ground peasants and stuff i think definitely varies by terrain on the at there's never a shortage of trees you're fine in a hammock but you know i've seen the desert it completely flips and tent is the way to go yeah. I, though I could, in my head, I could picture you uh, tying your hammock up to two cactus and down <laughs> in the desert. Grant you, it probably yeah. wouldn't stay or something da- drastic would happen, but the image was fun. <laughs> yeah, I did have a, a, there's a stretch in Wyoming, the Great Basin, that's very treeless. And yeah. I did have to sleep on the ground one night. But other than that, I managed to always find uh, a bridge to kind of questionably tie my hammock around or one time was a cow pen built to keep the cows out of the electronics that powered the well. So I made it work, but it was, yeah, at times tricky. And one time just had to sleep in the dirt. (laughs) So when you're, when you're using the cow pen or the bridge, I take it it's tree on one side and then whatever you're finding on the other. Oh, I have done that other times, like to a fence in a tree. Um, The cow pen was shaped kind of like a diamond. And it was just long enough (laughs) for my hammock in between. And the bridge was questionable because, um, so in hammocks, you you normally have your feet side anchored higher than your head side. So when when you lay in it, just the way mechanics kind of work out, it's the flattest lay, as they call it. But on the bridge, hanging off the side of the guardrail, the points were equal. And the only lower point I could find was this concrete block that was the footer of the bridge. So trying to hang the hammock on a corner of concrete, you know, if it just slipped off, I would have fallen three or four feet onto some rocks. So I had a lot of kind of testing with that. And my friend Merlin was camping with me that night. So he kind of helped me like situate it and, um, you know, just kind of make sure it was somewhat safe. Where was it often that you were concerned about the hanging of it, that the trees would be strong enough. For no, the, it, okay. it was pretty rare. There was a few nights I had to hike a little bit further to find suitable trees. Um, you know, like you said, sometimes they're just a little too skinny or, you know, there's a dead tree hanging a little too awkwardly nearby or something like that. But for the most part, there's always trees around or fences or something you can kind of cobble together a solution. 
You have to be a, a little bit of a MacGyver. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I guess, and, and speaking of MacGyvering things, I, okay, I have to admit, I only watched the very beginning of your foot surgery <laughs> video. <laughs> <laughs> because Sea Lion mentioned her feet in, in her yeah. podcast and, and how bad it was. But um, I guess at that moment, I did not realize that you actually had documented how bad it was. Um, but when I started to watch, it, I was like, how do you, I mean, I guess you have to do it, but it's gnarly. Yeah. Yeah. I was just, uh, it looks like I was going to try to share my screen so I could pull it up really quick, but <laughs> not working out but yeah it was uh that was that was fun um yeah i listened to her podcast you of course and yeah, you touched on it for a little bit and it's funny in the, the video the one australian that was with us uh saw me as i was peeling back this blister about that big just the just flap of skin and he was just like oh no <laughs> yes well and, and it hurts too i mean it's not like it's just the skin and you cut it off and you go about your business, but there's some pain involved. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm a, uh, I have like freakish feet. I actually only had one blister on the entire triple crown. So I can only try to imagine what sea line was going through when half of her entire foot on each, like each foot, half of it was a blister of some sort. So one just dealing with the blister, then two dealing with the, very sensitive, fresh skin underneath after I cut away the blister and cleaned it out. And you know, she's a, she's definitely a trooper. She oh made the next God. section to, uh, up to idle wild from there. And luckily got another couple days to kind of recuperate and mm -hmm. get ready to hit the trail again. When you decided to do the PCT and sea lion was going to come with you, how did that change the way that you hiked it or that you wanted to hike it? Um, what made me go off to a tent right away? <laughs> I was going to try to to hammock the PCT because I was convinced it was the the best thing. Um, but it was a little of a bit of a surprise, you know, just because I knew she really hasn't been much into hiking and backpacking. Well, you know, like day hikes and stuff, but not anything crazy like a through hike. But I knew she was really tough and. You know, I was like, thought we have a few months to try to get you ready. So I'd always try to fill her in on gear and everything I've learned from the AT and what's, you know, worth spending a little extra to shave the weight and what's not. And then she luckily got placed in the um, Badger sponsor sponsorship with the Trek. So she got a lot of gear off the bat, which was definitely a huge help. And then we did one test hike for a stretch on the AT. And she just said she was ready. So we decided to hit the trail and we both agreed, you know, if one of us gets hurt or if one of us wants to quit, that does not mean the other one has to quit. You know, um, I think she touched on that on her episode as well, because, you know, it's, it's a lot to give up to go do a through hike. You know, you have to quit your job. You have to put all your stuff in storage. You, you usually wind up getting rid of a lot of stuff, have someone take care of your car, get bills sorted and just it's an endless list. So had you know for her to give all that up to come hike and for me to give all that up we both thought you know just if one of us quits or can't finish that does not mean the other has to go back to maryland but we both made it and it was great you know really every step of the way it was great to have her by my side my partner in crime and it's also nice having someone to split camp chores with 
<laughs> for sure. <laughs> On the other trails, did you hike with a with a tramley for most of them? Yes and no. On the AT, being very social, I met up with one trail family for pretty much the southern half. We stayed together a good bit. And then going through Maryland, being my home state, I hopped off trail for like a vacation. So they mostly all went ahead. By the time I got back on five days later, you know, it's a, a big gap to make up. But I did catch up to white and trail mix and almost caught boundaries and Dapper Dan. But they finished a couple days ahead. <laughs> and then the PCT, I was a sea lion the whole way. And we met up with the trail family around mile 350, I think. And stayed with them till the end, which is great. And then the CDT had a couple small trail families, but it was really kind of weird being such a heavy snow year in uh, 18, 19. Almost everybody going northbound flipped when they hit the San Juan mountain range because it was just unpassable. So everyone basically hiked New Mexico, flipped up the glacier right when I was starting as a regular southbound. So one, that made permits a nightmare. But two, everyone was kind of already in their own little bubbles and trail families and clicks. And I, I was just showing up like the new kid. And then my pace was also a little different because I had two weddings I was going to hop off trail for. So trying to just make that window before the, the San Juans got snowed in the following winter while they were like, you know, I got, you know, four, I don't know, 80% of the trail to go. New Mexico's already done. We can slow down. And I was trying to keep my miles up. So didn't really ever have a true trail family for more than a section or two on the PCT or on the CBT. How did that change your hike? Not have like not having that that uh, not having the people around you so much, or not not interacting with the people like yeah. that. It mentally made it a lot tougher. Um, I, I've always been pretty independent. Um, I mean, just in general, through hiking, backpacking, like you're pretty much carrying all your own stuff. You have your own food, your own kitchen, your own tent, everything. But even when I was with trail family, I was always kind of independent. Like I wouldn't like split camp chores as much, you know, offer to get water for people. It wasn't more of, it wasn't like a default thing to be, all right, we're all going to camp here. You set the tents, you get water, you start fire, go, go, go. So on that part, it wasn't too much different, but the the solitude, there's a few stretches got that got to me because in between my two weddings, I did a northbound flip-flop through Colorado so I could be sure to get the San Juans done. So in doing that, I was with a lot of the snowbows, as they got called because they flipped up from the snow. So all those flip-floppers, but they kept going south. And then I flipped and started going north so i was just going against the grain and passing everybody i met in montana idaho wyoming and then after they got through when i was in northern colorado it was just nobody there was a few stretches i went four days without seeing a human and some of that kind of was like the uh, you know the shining like oh oh no play it makes me go crazy just talking to myself and, you know or like uh cast away you know just painting a, a face on a coconut i found or whatever <laughs> Yeah, it didn't get that bad, but that was definitely the uh, the more challenging part on the CDT was being alone. And then also I was, uh, Siva and I got engaged right before I started this trail. And since we started dating like 
you know, we dated for a few months. We did the PCT together. Then we lived in Colorado for a whole winter. And then she was no longer by my side. So those two things together really, really made it a mentally tough trail. How did you get through that? Or how did, what, what were your hacks to, to do that, to get through it successfully? Just really grinding away. Um, I think one thing, you know, look at the path in front of you, not the mountain you're going to, because, you know, if when she first dropped me off in Glacier and left, you know, just if I were to think, all right, all I have to do is like almost 3000 miles and then I'll be done with this trail and we'll be together again. Wow. That's, that's a tall order, you know, but thinking, okay, it's just a week hike to get through Glacier and then I'll have cell service again. I'll be able to talk. It was also nice having those two weddings to get off trail for because she met up with me. So it was like two mini breaks to get to see her again. And I think overall, that was kind of my, my biggest like piece of advice is just take it section by section. Don't have that end goal in mind. It, it feels like a little bit, you lucked into the, the sectioning of it all because that wasn't necessarily something that you had planned ahead of time and or that you knew you would have that much alone time is that fair yeah you mean like the sectioning of the the breaks to go home for the weddings or well i mean you knew that you were going to be going home for the weddings but i don't think that you realized before you headed out on the trail that there would be so much alone time Um, or were you kind of you knew that that was was like a, a switcheroo at first i was really expecting it and it's um some I wrote a little bit about just because the other two trails are known for being almost overcrowded, you know, to the point of overcrowding, but they're very, very social. You can kind of hike alone, but you'll never go a day by yourself. You'll always see other hikers and the CDT is more notorious for there just not being that many people. And it goes through much more remote parts. So I was kind of thinking that and trying to mentally prepare for that. And then with all the people that flipped up North, it just seemed like the PCT or AT. I'm just surrounded by hikers all the time again. So it was great. And I kind of let that mental preparedness just melt away because I didn't need it. And then when I did my flip and then took all this time off trail, I I felt like I was just going to be the very last southbounder left. And when I got back on in Northern New Mexico, there's some stretches. I was just not feeling the trail at all. I'm not seeing hikers. Even towns were like, Oh wow. Hikers are still coming through. Well, like you we used to have a hostel, but they closed up or this place used to have a hot tub and a beer on tap and all this great stuff. But uh, now you can sleep in their backyard, and this <laughs> and that. But I did manage to catch a couple other southbounders on like Southern New Mexico. And we all finished on December 3rd. And I think pretty sure we we're the, the last ones to finish that season. So that was cool. But like I said, yeah, I was kind of like prepared to be alone, not prepared. <laughs> Ah. <laughs> and it is what it is. Yep. Just got to keep on hiking. Did doing, having done the other two trails and at that point you've got, what is it? Four, four and a half thousand miles under your belt. Um, so you've kind of seen yourself in all of these different um, experiences with hiking did that help you when you hit the CDT and you're like, okay, yeah, I know. Okay. This is a bad weather day. Cause I saw some of your bad weather days and mm-hmm. they're, they were kind of epic. 
<laughs> between snow, between hail, between rain. Yeah, the other trails definitely help prepare for that. Um, mostly the AT because that's you get rain. There's no way to avoid it. Um, the PCT we hiked on a year when it was on easy mode because the 1718 winter had very, very, very low snow. So the Sierras were a piece of cake to get through. Didn't need an ice axe or crampons or micro spikes or anything. So I, I kind of missed out from a training perspective on that. But then when I got to Glacier, it was the same. There was a few snow crossings. Didn't really ever need micro spikes. Luckily, I didn't carry an ice axe because it would have just been completely dead weight. <laughs> um, but the weather, definitely um, just kind of being prepared for that. Like, it rains. There's, you know, there's, you got to keep hiking. Um, even on the, the AT, I have a video in, in the Smokies. One thing that kind of irked me was a lot of people just stayed in the shelter all day instead of moving to the next shelter. So I hiked from one shelter in the freezing rain to the next. It was completely full. I could barely get out of the rain because everyone just stayed put. It's like, all right, well, the next shelter is five miles away. So I guess I'll go there. Got there. Same thing. Just jam packed. Nobody left. Everyone just stayed there, <laughs> saving their spots for the night, their, their bunk area. All right. Next one's two miles away. And from there, it's a very short hike to Clingman's Dome. So I thought if anyone was that close to the hitchhike point, they would have went in the rain to try to go to town and just get out of it. Nope. Completely full. <laughs> but by that time, it was getting dark and I was cold. So I, I just stayed there. Like kind of, you basically kind of snuggled in, and uh, well, I, I hammocked there. Okay, that was uh, another pet peeve. I was not a fan of the the um, the huts and the shelters because I'm a light sleeper, and there's always going to be someone that snores. There's always going to be someone that wants to get on the trail first thing and is rustling around at 4 a.m. And then there's the mice, and yeah. So I would always, I normally try to hammock camp near a shelter because they had a picnic table to cook your dinner, and they had a water source nearby, and it's nice to have that kind of like friendship and camaraderie around the campfire every night. How did the hammock hold up in all of the, the rain, all of the wet? Uh, it's great. This is one of the things why I think hammock camping is, is the best because you set your tarp and then you have, a, it's much bigger than a tent underneath the tarp. And then everything you have stays off the ground. So everything stays completely dry. You don't have a wet tent and a wet rain fly. Water can't really seep underneath your tent onto your ground thing and then up in your sleeping bag. Everything stays 100% dry except your tarp. So I was really a big fan of that. Um, there was, that I can remember one night, I didn't hang the tarp that well. So I got rained on and things got a little wet. But in general, um, yeah, I think for bad weather, I would definitely prefer a hammock. And because of the way that the tarp, so you've got the the hammock kind of going through the middle and you've got the tarp mm -hmm. here and I take it, you just put your backpack underneath you or, or whatever. And yeah, normally actually would, uh, add a little carabiner. So I'd hang my backpack on nice. my ridgeline as well. So it'd be not getting wet. And then also if there's any little ground rodents running around, they couldn't really easily just get in there. Yeah, that would be a sad day if you woke up and found a little hole in your pack. <laughs> yeah, did happen on the CDT um, during the coldest stretch of my life. Uh, after my northbound flip-flop, I got back on trail at Cumbrace Pass, which is not quite out of the mountains yet, on October 28th. 
and it was snowing. And I was like, I just took two and a half weeks off trail. I, I don't care. I'm starting. And this Australian guy, Hopper, was up at the pass trying to hitchhike down because he had just got there going southbound and thought I was mental about to go out and the shit he just got in from essentially. But one of those nights, um, I just was lazy and cold and I didn't hang my food bag on my ridge line or anywhere else. It wasn't quite bear country anymore. At least I don't think. Now they're hibernating anyway, I guess. But um, <laughs> anyway, bears. Woke up the next morning, saw a little hole in the food bag and thought, ah, damn it. But the mouse only nibbled on one single Oreo and then left. So I basically lost one Oreo cookie. I actually probably still ate it, but. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Considering the things that people pick up off the ground and eat. Yeah. What diseases could the mouse have? Not that many. (laughs) So apparently you were lucky that you found a. Or that the mouse that found you was not an Oreo fan. Yeah. And that just turned him off the rest of my food bag. He was just so grossed out by that cookie. Didn't want to look around for any of the other beef jerky or anything else I had rooting around in there. Oh, what was your favorite snack out there? I have to come back to that one. So I have a lot of uh, like go-to snacks and food. Probably my favorite is peanut butter pad thai, backpackers pantry, uh, like ready meals, but those were a delicacy, you know, it's expensive and mm-hmm. bulky and kind of, you know, heavy to pack those out for every meal. But every couple of trail towns, when uh, I get a new bag, so I also reuse those nice bags for all my other food. So I didn't have to get my pot dirty, another pro tip, <laughs> but whenever a, a outfitter or REI or whoever would have that, that flavor of that brand, it was, it's just so good. I don't know why it's so much better than all the other competition. So I guess to go back to your pro tip, um, yeah, because I am all about the pro tips and the hacking of it. All, all right. <laughs> um, so what you're saying is basically taking like the the backpacker backpacker pantry or whatever the the mountain house the the container that everything's in, yeah, and using that essentially. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, you cook it regularly, but then you keep the bag. You might rinse it out and use that bag for a section or two, a couple hundred miles, and you can kind of scrape it out with your spoon and you know everyone has the different threshold of when that's gross i'm getting a new one but i thought it was such i don't know cleaning a pot every day and also for lnt you know you're not supposed to have any food scraps dumped into the water sources so Mm -hmm. it's kind of a two birds one stone with that method you're not i guess you're not you're boiling the water you're not boiling the food necessarily you're just dumping the hot water into the food right Okay. Yeah. So that worked great for any other backpacker pantry type meal, um, instant potatoes, oatmeal, things like that. Mac and cheese was a little weird because it normally took like the, it would either get cold if you dump the hot water in the bag or it'd be a pain to clean up out of your pot. So I never quite got that one down. I'd normally try to cold soak it a little and then you put boiling water in and trying to find that perfect amount of water. So it just <laughs> never quite worked out. But It was like alchemy. Like you had to get everything just perfect for it to. Yeah. To yeah. Come and then of course you're not hiking with measuring cups. You don't know exactly how much water you're putting in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you ever do actual like full on cold soaking out there? Uh, for breakfast, I did sometimes I could cold soak oatmeal. But that was that was about it. 
<laughs> that was just time. Never did with, yeah. Just, uh, that's another thing. Um, you know, cut weight. A lot of people just go stoveless, and mm-hmm. well, when it's warm out, I could see it. But when it's cold, there's nothing better than just having a hot cup of tea or a warm meal at the end of the day. It's just unparalleled. Yeah, that's. I think in my head, I I romanticize it a little bit, but the idea at the end of the day of having something warm in your hands, mm-hmm. um, even it, even if you're not sitting there in front of a fire, but you're just sitting there in front of the scope that is the stars and the Milky Way and the you know whatever. Um, yeah, though I know that that would be considered staying up after hike or midnight, but <laughs> sometimes it's really worth it. <laughs> Yeah, it just adds that whole whole nother level. Yeah, like you said, just having that warm cuppa. Exactly, exactly. I guess, and, and speaking of the the beauty that is the Milky Way and and all of that, like you out there were doing a lot of photography. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it night photography and that kind of stuff, or or evening photography. Was that your thing going into the AT, or did that sort of evolve while you were on the AT? completely evolved on the trail i i used to have an older gopro and just made silly movies you know screwing around with that but i started to get more into photography um so my brother and my mom my stepmom they're all very into photography so that was starting to rub off on me a little bit and i borrowed my brother's old camera when i did the wonderland trail just to try to get used to hiking with it and you know figure out how to use a camera (laughs) So I was still very much a, a novice when I started the AT and, and I got my own camera, but didn't really know a lot of the settings. And most of it was just messing around. You know, if I tried astrophotography early on, turned out terrible. So then the next town, I spent some time YouTubing what settings are great for astrophotography and learned, oh, you want to change the ISO to this, you want to change the white balance to that. And then, you know, just pick up all these little tips and tricks along the way. And, um, I recently had my new job, sadly, back in a cubicle, but I've taken all of my photos from the trail, and those were like on my background and screensaver, just rotating. And that was the first time I've, I've really went back through my old AT photos and realized how far my photography has come just from playing with a camera while you're on these trails. So that was, that was cool to see that evolution. Did you have the camera out like on your shoulder strap or something so that you could literally just snap away? Yeah. I had one of those uh, straps that's just right here on the shoulder straps mm-hmm. with like a quick release. So it's just like clap, click. <laughs> quick was, draw. Yeah, definitely. Recommend that as well. Um, I think Peak Designs makes them. There's a lot of different knockoffs and other brands, but yeah, it's basically a, a tripod thing. You screw to your camera. That's like a standard about inch and a half square and then a thing that you can fasten to your shoulder strap. What was the big pro trip pro tip for you on the AT? Hmm. Hammock. <laughs> <laughs> but you kind of had decided to do that going into it, right? Yeah. You mean like pro tip that I discovered once on trail or? Yeah. Hmm. One thing I found, uh, if you're trying to land a hitchhike, uh, you know, it's obviously a little bit tougher for, bearded people, <laughs> males in general. But if you dance, I I got hitchhikes a lot more quick because they're like, all right, he's, he's not like a serial killer, right? Serial killers don't dance. 
So I remember uh, I was with my friend Easy Going and we were trying to, to hitch to a town in Pennsylvania and it wasn't, we're just having no luck. And I thought, all right, dude, let's start dancing. He, he just thought I was crazy. And maybe three cars later, this car pulled over and his exact words were, we we're going to pick you up. But then he started dancing. I thought he must be all right. <laughs> you look harmless, relatively speaking. Yeah. <laughs> and kind of fun, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another one used the trekking poles and pretend them in a rowboat. Another <laughs> move. Um, yeah, just using the trekking poles a lot. Cause that's another thing I would tell people who said maybe it's their first time picking up a hitchhiker. If they have the trekking poles, they're a hiker and they're not some like crazy homeless man. They're just trying to get to town for a meal and they're cool and they'll thank you and be very appreciative of, of everything. It's all the difference is the trekking poles. <laughs> That's a, that's a huge tip because mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it, it is easier. So I've heard for women to, to get, um, hitchhikes, um, because they're less dangerous, so to speak. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, that's the big signal. Yeah. Because otherwise that's... you just look like a homeless person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and in general, I also highly recommend, uh, trekking poles. I know some people do hike without them but their knees probably won't be the same. <laughs> I, I've leaned on mine like crazy. I've bent many a pairs because like going up hills, I'm just really leaning on them and going down hills. I'll flip them. So it's on my palm to try to transfer my motion you know, through my arms. And yeah, they're, they're a lifesaver. I can't recommend tracking poles enough. Well, and actually that just reminded me like watching your videos, there were a lot of videos where I saw you, using both hands but you were still mm-hmm. videoing it so it wasn't necessarily your, ah, I had a gopro <laughs> right on your forehead <laughs> yep um it's a funny story about that I, I had the old one i used to do those silly movies with and it was a, a hero three so it had a little camera then a big case you put it in and the case mm-hmm. is what made it waterproof and a separate head strap specifically for that so it's just kind of a bulky extra weight. And in Bishop, California, I upgraded to the session, which is the smaller little cube and it itself is waterproof. So you can get rid of the housing. It's not as heavy. So you don't need its own head strap. I had it on the same one as my uh, headlamp. So I'm getting some dual use. And then we stayed at the hostel, California. Great, great place. If you're in Bishop and one of the, the workers there, um was going tubing on the owens river and had a bunch of tubes and he he had a van and was like anybody wants to come let's go tubing so we're taking a zero day of course we went tubing and i just got this new gopro and like any time you go tubing you get kind of drunk and it slipped off my head into the river which had a very strong current and they were releasing some dam up river in like three days and it was just going to flood it so I, I kept trying to like swim down and find it, but the stronger current was lower in the river. So like it was just gone and I was fuming mad. I couldn't believe I just wasted this money on this. And uh, back at the hostel, just through these Hail Marys, I reached out to like GoPro and to Amazon. It's like, Hey, I'm a through hiker. Like I was wearing the head strap appropriately and it just, it broke and I'm out this GoPro, blah, blah, blah. And never thought I was going to come, but Amazon said, Oh, we'll send you a new one free of charge. Huh. And 
Go Amazon. That's one of those things. You know, Amazon, you always think of this evil corporation. But in that one instance, I was like, I, I, don't, I don't mind them taking over the world. If they, <laughs> <laughs> in, this in this one instance, they did good. Yeah. It was, yeah, there's one instance. Yeah. But ever since then, you just keep hearing about all the terrible stuff they're doing. But that's a whole other thing. We don't need to that's get into. That's a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when did that, when did the new session or whatever catch up with you? Um, pretty soon after. So I think a good bit of this year is I was without my, my GoPro, but I still had my camera for videos and then my phone for videos. And, uh, it arrived near North of man. What was that? Uh, Tuolumne Meadows. It was down sort of another kind of crazy hitchhiking around and sea lion was having some, um, like plantar fasciitis or a calf issue. And our trail family had broken up like a little bit and she wanted to take some rest days and she didn't care about being a purist. And I was kind of a purist on the AT kind of on the, the PCT, but with fire closures, it started to erode a little bit. And then the CDT, I was just like <laughs> continuous footpath is the only thing I care about. But anyway, she's like, I want to rest how about you hitch ahead or you hike ahead and then you can hitch back to mammoth and we'll be here for the 4th of July. I thought, all right, it sounds good. So I hitched ahead and then in the hitchhike from like Tuolumne Meadows down to the East side, I forget the name of the little town, but I had it sent there. There's some grocery store that takes, uh, accepts pack, hiker packages. So it hit there and then hiked back, hitchhiked back down to mammoth and was there for 4th of July. And then we hitched together back up to Tuolumne Meadows and then rendezvoused with the rest of our trail family. So it kind of worked out. And um, luckily I got my, our Mount Whitney fo- footage uploaded prior to losing the GoPro. So the only footage I lost was Forester Pass, like sledding down on the North Face, which would have been kind of cool. And then this one stretch of trail the the snow was kind of still like this and there's like a little bit of a level spot you could pick your way across and i was filming sea lion because she you know she's ahead of me like 10 feet and then she slipped and started sliding down and like she was enough ahead i couldn't catch her and then there was a little ledge in about five feet where she stopped and it would have been five foot drop after that like she would have died she might have twisted an ankle it would have been one of those really crazy, real raw moments that I just happened to have the camera like, oh, okay, you're good. You're good. Oh, <laughs> so first and foremost, glad she didn't get hurt. Second, I'm glad I got the Whitney footage because that was a really cool side quest. But um, yeah, it kind of sucks just, you know, losing footage. And uh, yeah. then later on the CDT also had some SD card issues and that's, what started falling so by, far behind on my pictures and blog was in the Wind River Range. I decided to just like stop the blog and enjoy the trail because I lost all this footage and I had to like send the card away to get it, some company to recover it and this and that. But I got it all back, so I'm happy. <laughs> but how did that change the nature of your hike? The going from like slipping. No, 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 no. Sorry. The going from you're blogging and you're, you're doing all of that to, I'm not going to worry about that stuff. I'm just going to focus on the Freed up a lot of time to really, truly relax in town or on your zero days. Cause before it used to be like every night you, um, I did keep a journal 
through all the trails. So I'm really glad to have that to really just be able to spark your memories when you're trying to go back and write about a day or describe a photo if you just have that kind of detailed breakdown of it. But not having to edit pictures and then upload pictures and then type a summary of every day and organize it. And it was it was really, really nice just to be able to get to town and just be a normal hiker, you know, and watch crappy TV movies and drink a bunch of beer and eat a bunch of pizza and call it a day first. All right. Yeah. Oh, you guys are going out to the restaurant? Well, I'm going to try to edit this video instead and I'll catch up with you later. And then, well, I want to get these photos ready for that. And it was really nice. So again, uh, to any future hikers, uh, if you're going to blog, I would advise to maybe go into it knowing it's going to be a huge time drain and just try to do like a very, very pared down, like maybe even just Instagram. You know, I try to do more of that full-fledged thing with like day 42, mm-hmm. 18.6 miles to this camp, and then write all about the day, include all the pictures, any fun video clips. And that really did just become too overwhelming. And part of me in hindsight wishes the other trails that I did less of that and really just enjoyed the town and the present a little bit more. It, I mean, I guess people have described through hiking as a job, but it, it feels like it becomes a job. Yeah, it does. Because <laughs> <laughs> granted, it's a job you love and you voluntarily went on, but you know, uh, there's times where it's it's grueling and it's really not fun. You know, you you feel stuck, and it's like, uh, it's not a particularly scenic section, and I'm just hiking eight to twelve hours a day, just walking or if it's raining or if views are all whited out or whatever reason, you know, there's definitely days where it's not glamorous and it feels like something you have to do very similar to, to most jobs. <laughs> <laughs> you just got to keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. Yep. One foot in front of the other. Yep. I know. I've, I've heard people describe the great basin as, as one of those places. Cause it's so long. It's so empty. It's so, not interesting, I guess, is probably a better word for it. Um, yeah, pretty accurate. That it's, <laughs> that it's sort of a place to just get through. Yeah. And people going northbound, I think, have it better because it's the crappy section. And then when you're through it, you are rewarded with the Wind River Range, mm. which rivals Glacier. It is so unreal. And the beauty there is just unparalleled you know it's so amazing but going southbound it's the opposite and you come out of this super majestic area that's kind of still a a hidden gem you know everyone always hears about glaciers beautiful or you know all these areas but i don't think i've ever heard of the wind river range before the cdt so coming from that and then just getting shats out into the desert where it's flat (laughs) there's no trees and all the water is gross cow tanks and yeah, like 150 miles of that. It's just, man, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and if, if I remember correctly, like there's quite a distance between places where you can resupply too, right? Yeah, that whole stretch, um, really from Idaho to Colorado, there's some pretty long stretches uh, that, I mean, it also depends how much you want to go off trail and hitchhike. You know, through the Wind River Range, um, you can go, I think, 12 miles off trail 
to a lodge where you can then hike down to a town, or you can just do 170 miles straight. And I elected to do that because I don't know why, but for some reason I hate off trail miles and I hate backtracking. <laughs> so I was like, I'd rather do 170 in one shot than pile up 24 off trail miles. Was but, that something um, evolved that evolved? Like you hating to do extra miles? Yeah. Like I don't really know why, but even on the AT, you know, if there's water 0.5 off trail or water on trail five miles ahead, I'm just like, I'm just going to go to the next water. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know why I'm like that, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, in general, your original question that that stretch, it is, the towns are pretty few and far between. And then some of the towns that you can get to are very, very, barely clinging on to the name of a town like barely uh could be considered a town you know there's like three houses and a post office so you, you need a time if the post office is closed for the weekend then you're going to be stuck in this town for a couple of days waiting for it or uh the grocery store might just be whatever a gas station has so there's definitely some places like that but in general you can get by Probably without mailing yourself any food drops, I would recommend doing you know, doing your due diligence and research and finding those handful of towns where it's advisable to, to mail yourself some food. Otherwise, you're going to be surviving off Snickers and Pop-Tarts. <laughs> <laughs> Which sounds so appetizing when you say it like that. Yeah. <laughs> when you finished the CDT and had to go back to the real world, like... Were you ready for that or did you sort of do a slow immersion back in? Yeah, I definitely took my time. Um, on one hand, the other two trails kind of trained me for that because I knew what to expect in those initial weeks when you need to really try to limit your food because you're not burning all those calories again. And when you're not constantly in nature and when you're getting back into a job and, you know, just more routine life stuff, kind of knew that was coming. But then something that's been snowballing is the post-trail depression because it never hit me because after the AT, I knew that in six months I was doing the PCT. And after the PCT, I knew in six months I was doing the CDT. You know, I always had this, this next big adventure planned. And then when I finished all three, didn't really have anything on the books. You know, I joined Sea Line in Austin. So that was cool being in a, a new town to explore. And it's a really, really great city. But then I was just, you know, that whole, okay, what am I going to do with life now? You know, I was a mechanical engineer for almost 10 years before I started my AT and didn't really want to go back to the office life. I was trying to figure out, you know, just what to do. So I started doing Grubhub and walking dogs. And then it was good, you know, walking dogs kept me walking, kept me outside. Grubhub was, uh, was what it is, paid all right, I guess. But And then um, I was going to go be a ski instructor again. So in between the PCT and CDT, the 18-19 winter with all that snow, we were living in Colorado and I was a ski instructor at Vail. And it was amazing. Loved it. And it was one of the best snow years they've had in forever. So that was really cool. And again, one of those things that 
kept normal feelings of post-trial depression away because you're still outside every day among all these kind of like-minded, cool people. You're just skiing, you're having a great time. So I was going to go back and do that for the month of March in 2020. And uh, some of our PCT friends and sea lion came out and we made uh, like a snowboarding skiing trip out of it. And then I had two days of classes before they closed the mountain due to COVID. So then I had a kind of awkwardly, you know, the nervous energy when it first kind of broke out was so weird. It's like, am I fly? Am I guaranteed to get COVID? I don't know. Yeah. But I went back to Austin to join sea lion and weather that storm. And then we moved back to Maryland. And then I'd started thinking like, you know, all right, it's COVID can't really travel or do anything. So I guess I might as well try to go back into the engineering world and started applying to a bunch of jobs, but wasn't really the best time to try to find a new job during the pandemic and lockdown and everything. But then I landed this one here in Maryland and we've been here for a few months and kind of gotten used to the cubicle life again, but really trying to find something else that really has that balance where, you know, it's unfortunate in America, everything is you're either career oriented, you work 40 hours a week and you'd be happy with your three weeks vacation. And that's that. Or it's you have to work a more gig economy or a seasonal job. And I'm really hoping to find something where I can use my engineering skills because I actually kind of enjoy the work, but I just want time off. And every engineering company I've ever known or talked to, they don't give you time off. You have your vacation and that's it. You, you want to take unpaid leave? They're like, that's weird. No, what's wrong with you? You'd want to not get paid for a month and go play in the woods? Yeah, it sounds amazing. No, I'll, I'll, I'll hear nothing of that. So that's my current status is kind of just feel like I'm coasting. You know, I'm, I'm here, not really happy with with it, but you know, it's kind of just that through like your thing. You, know, you always are looking for the next thing or the next new adventure, the next this or that. And now COVID and realizing that's not an entirely sustainable life, lifestyle to through hike every year. It's kind of all... Three years of post-trial depression seems to be kind of getting me some from time to time. It all caught up with you. Yeah. So it's, it's been kind of rough, but you know, again, shout out to Sea Lion. She's she's definitely my rock. Couldn't yeah. do it without her. Well, it, from our conversation previously, you know, she kind of got it after the PCT. So yeah. in a strange kind of way, she was ahead of you on that curve. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And also with that, um, she quickly got her remote job. Yeah. She got her remote job since before it was cool, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that kind of isolated her, um, you know, cause I was out with all my ski instructor friends and, you know, if there was a slow class day, we got cut. All right, sweet man. Let's go change our uniform, go ski Vail. You know, it's one of the best mountains in the world. And we just, it's right in our backyard. We get planted every day. And then she had her, you know, off, at, although at home, still office job where I, you know, kind of have to be at my computer for eight ish hours and doing work. So I could, I could definitely see why I kind of started to hit her before me. And then also she didn't, or she knew she wasn't doing the CDT next year. And I still kind of had that in my back pocket, like, you know, just get through the winter and I'll be back on the trail soon enough. Yeah. There's very much that adventure awaits thing with mm-hmm. the trails. Have you, I mean, I know you're trying to balance the, I'm working now full time with 
where's the next adventure? Like, have yeah. you come up with any target or plan at this point? We talk about it a lot, <laughs> you know, like, but it's just so hard because, you know, at the job markets, you know, it's kind of difficult to just quit your job and know that you might have another job in three months after you go hike a trail. You know, we've talked, we both really like the desert. So maybe we should go do the Hey Duke or the Arizona trail in October. But again, you need to try to time that with a job. So I don't want to like quit a job to go hike that and be back basically unemployed for four months applying to jobs and all left and right. And so yeah, really just trying to save money now and figure out how we can, you know, like start businesses or get passive income from whatever source to be able to do that and be more of our own boss and be able to take time off if we want to go through hike or, you know, if we both have remote jobs, if we can, you know, time it to be able to go do our remote jobs, but in another country somewhere, you know, just rent an Airbnb, make it possible. And then another thing timing wise is leases, like putting all your stuff somewhere in storage. Like I was, I was really fortunate and um, I just got a storage locker close to my house in Baltimore. So I kind of threw everything in there. And then in between trails, when my tenants leases were up, I would move back into the house and then have my stuff close by. So I could just move in the, the bare essentials and then live there and, you know, throw some paint on, be able to show it to tenants whenever and not have to try to follow rigid schedules when to meet people. And that was really nice. But then again, all my stuff's in storage. So if, you know, like I needed a tool, it's not just in the basement. I had to drive to storage and open it up. And yeah. if I wanted my bicycle, ah, I left it in storage and just all these different things. So like I said, it's nice that we're here and we have all the stuff here and just we're like finally in a nest and not just in a temporary house we know we're going to be fleeing in three to six months yeah i, I it feels like you're kind of in that eternal through hiking struggle um so it's like if if you find the solution to it if you figure out the the way to hack it there's like a world of through hikers out there that are like tell me more tell me more yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I figured out I'll, I'll definitely share this. It's definitely like two sides, you know, being in a relationship, you know, you have to take their wants into consideration. You know, like one thing we just kind of talked out was uh, originally I was applying to a lot of jobs in Colorado and Pacific Northwest because we through hiked and we love the mountains and then sea lions started to realize she actually thinks she'd rather be closer to a beach and those places aren't really near the beach. So then you kind of have that give and take and that compromise of, okay, if after Maryland, if we, if I get a remote job and she's still with her job, or if we land a job, you know, wherever, you know, where can we both be happy or, you know, like if I was single, I might just be out being a ski bum again, teaching ski lessons this winter and just trying to live it up. But I'm also, 35 so it's starting to get in that spot where you know do i want to just be seasonal ski instructor like not to talk down on that profession i met a lot of people that did do that throughout their life but on a part of me just feels like i have a, a good skill set and career and i want to just find that balance where i can use those but not in that typical full-time 40 hour a week 
every week of the year type setting. And that's what I'm looking for. And unfortunately it seems to be very rare. Yeah. I'm going to just mention, um, and I guess basically I'm putting out a little, uh, a little uh, PSA for uh, Portland, Oregon. Um, It's so nicely situated that you're literally two hours from Mount Hood and Timberline uh, mm-hmm. which is the skiing and all of that. And you're also two hours from the ocean. That is definitely. Kind of, <laughs> we've been hitting heavy. Uh, yeah. Denver, Portland, and Seattle were the three main hubs I was applying to like yeah. crazy, but nothing was panning out. And I think part of that was they try to hire people that currently live there. Yeah. And also part of it was, you know, seeing a two year gap on my resume it might seem as a flight risk. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, this guy, that's a hard gonna... Sorry, what? I was gonna say that's a hard thing. I mean, I oh, yeah. I wasn't on the trail necessarily last year, but because my work is freelance, like I had taken some kind of time off and it's hard to get past the oh yeah, that gap is there because I chose to wanna do X, Y, and Z, you mm-hmm. know. And I wasn't looking for a job and I just you know, I was enjoying my life, so to speak. Exactly. I hate how that's, that's so weird to so many people. It's like, I chose to not work and enjoy myself. And, yeah. you know, like I live very frugally, I can save up and, you know, afford not to have to work all that much. And um, like a, another big thing I had said, mentioned all putting all the stuff in storage, just another huge thing. Uh, timing these trails and everything was, not having to pay rent while I was on the trail. I have met some hikers that were con- still paying their rent and everything as they hiked. And it's like, Ooh, that's some cases doubling how much a through hike costs when you have all those bills back at home. So I guess you can call it a pro tip. <laughs> if you can avoid, <laughs> if you can pare all your bills down as much as possible. Like I even stopped car insurance, you know, I'm not driving my car. Why would I pay that every month? Um, yeah, but on the flip side, if you get those squared away, through hiking is cheaper than regular life. Granted, you're not having the money come in from your job, but you don't have rent, you don't have utilities, you're not going out to bars and restaurants nearly as much, you're not going to movies. You know, there's all these things that go out the window because you're just outside walking all the day, all all day, every day. Yeah. I guess that's that is my that is the thing that's in my head right now with of how can I find something to make money to go that goes into my bank account that will allow me to do the through hike that will allow me to do the traveling that will allow me to do, you know, mm-hmm. enjoying life, so to speak, um, without the constant stress of, I need to find the next job. I need to find the next job. Yeah. <laughs> but especially, uh, you mentioned freelance. I mean, that seems like a lot more, you, you don't have that steadiness and, kind of reliability of just that employer being like, here's your money, here's your money. You got to hustle and keep those clients up to date and everything. Yeah. It's, it's the funniest dichotomy of when you're working, you're working really hard and you're like, Oh my God, I can't wait for us to be done and to have the vacation and, and all of that. But then on the flip side of that, as the job starts winding down, you're getting stressed because you're wondering where the next, job is going to come from where's the next money going to come from um and so you don't get to really enjoy your vacation so to speak yeah 
another thing on vacation is how the standards just, you know, if you're lucky, you take uh, five days off. So you get eight to 10 days of vacation, but I feel like that's what it takes to finally decouple yourself from work and stop thinking about it. So by the time you're truly relaxed and enjoying the vacation, it's time to head home and start getting ready for the next work week. (laughs) Yep, exactly. Oh, gotta love it. Yep. Where did your, or how did you get the trail name Space Jam? (laughs) Stand by. So I think Denise uh, has little short shorts. (laughs) Oh, that's beautiful. And these are one of my triple crown gear. They barely made it through the CDT, but they're with me on all three trails. I had to do a lot of uh, sewing to keep them running. But yeah, um, so we've got short, space. Short, runner shorts. Yeah, very spacey print. <laughs> I really like very good uh, airflow. And if you're on steep terrain, you don't have like the pant leg kind of robbing your step as it, you know, as you take a high knee, you kind of. Mm-hmm. minuscule amounts but i feel like robs you of that energy and then for guys it's also really easy to use the bathroom you don't have to like unbuckle anything and you can just kind of go under the fence if you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so that's really nice and then they also doubled as swim trunks so on you know anytime i went on those cliff jumps or lake swims i didn't have to change into anything or worry about chafe or, or anything of that nature they were uh multifunctional yes yeah, just in general, if anything can be multifunctional, that's that's the way to do it. I've heard that I've heard that from people where they start looking at all everything that they're carrying as how many different things can I use this for? Yeah. And if I can use this for X, Y, and Z, then I don't need all of this other stuff that I'm also carrying. Yeah. So one good one is uh, you know, you take your your poo trowel, mm-hmm. you know, to dig your cat holes. But if you do it right. Poo never touches that. Only dirt does. So you can also use that as your spoon for your food. Boom, weight saved. I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. <laughs> I'm like, That's taking it a too far. <laughs> that, that may be a bridge too far. <laughs> yeah. But um, on the AT, there's this, uh, one old timer, like triple, triple crowd. And he's just been retired. He's been hiking. Uh, he just got a brand new... Um, Deuce of Spades, one of the ultralight poo trials that they make. And there are some section hikers having lunch at a table, one of the picnic tables. And then I think I'm botching this, but he kind of just went up and threw it because it was brand new. So there's like, wasn't ever even near cat holes. But he kind of said that joke or threw it down. Everyone got grossed out. I was like, oh, it's brand new. See if I can scratch this on it. I can just mess with you guys. But just the yeah. thought of it. Yeah, it's too close. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Was there ever a moment when you were on the trails where you wondered or thought, why am I out here? Why am I doing this? Um, Like a couple times it seeped into my head, you know, if it was just a particularly rainy, shitty day or cold day, but never really bad until the cdt um particularly the the last stretch in new mexico is when sea lion and i were just really missing each other and over it and there's a few times i had cell service and would just be on the phone with her for hours as i walked and you know i thought about quitting because she's in this new city by herself and you know 
we've had her as a guest. She's amazing. She makes friends easy, but it's, it was still a, a tough time for her as well. And part of me was thinking like, why am I out here? You know, like I can quit and just finish it next year. You know, if, if you even need, you know, the official definition of a through hike is within a calendar year or within a year. So you start. So I was like, you know, I started late June, so I can easily finish New Mexico before that next year and, you know, be with her, get more established in Austin and across my mind a few times, but she was pretty adamant of like, no, quit if you're going to quit, but I'll get through this. Like, it's rough, but do not quit for me. And, you know, I, I could appreciate her telling me that and you know, toughing it out because, you know, this is kind of a dream, like five years in the making is when I first heard about the Triple Crown and thought, I think I want to do that and just started getting more into backpacking and, you know, Wonderland Trail for the test hike and this and that. And like finally coming to fruition, the finish line's almost there. And it's like, and now, now at the end is when I'm starting to think about quitting is, you know, it's not when I first started on the AT or, you know, like hiking through crappy parts of whatever. It's like now at the very end, I'm finally just over it and sick of being the only hiker out here and not seeing people and missing my fiance. And yeah. So it crossed my mind a few times, but just kept going one foot in front of the other. Were you ready to be done when you finished? Very much so. Um, I think all three trails, I was ready to be finished three quarters of the way through, if not sooner. So it's, it's just that kind of tipping point when your body's really starting to wear down from just going day after day, finishing with a, a deficit in calories. And you just start to kind of miss those really small luxuries, like just a soft bed or AC or heat or, or whatever. So I, I've been asked like, Oh, when's your next through hike or what's your next trail? And I'm definitely done with multi thousand mile trails, like maybe Hey Duke or Arizona trail when it was sub thousand, you know, month and a half. That's kind of a nice, comfortable time frame. You know, you get your trail legs, you get that, just that feeling of being a nomad and really being outside and embracing it and loving it. And then right when you start to get sick of it, you can go because <laughs> you're done. <laughs> so you wouldn't think about going over to New Zealand and say doing the TA or not. So both that and the uh, Pacific Northwest trail, from mm -hmm. what I've heard, they still seem a bit too much in their infancy and they're not mm. established enough. So there's just a little too much bushwhacking or road walking. Um, you know, it's on the, after the CDT, I, I don't mind kind of choosing your own adventure, but I think the road walks um, on the TAs definitely something I would avoid. Um, that being said, my friend pig pen and blocks who first did the PCT and, and ruined my life by introducing me to this world. <laughs> Uh, they did the TA uh, two years ago, and they also knew about the roadwalks and said, we're just going to treat it as a backbone to explore the country, and we're not going to do any roadwalk. We're just going to hitch all of that, or when we get to lengthy roadwalks, take a break from the trail and hitchhike to other cities or things to check out and you know, really just explore the country instead of just being stuck on this one narrow passageway. So I would definitely do that for the TA and I don't know. I haven't really looked into the, the Pacific Northwest trail recently, but uh, next one, 
again, if things come together and line up, I think sea line I would like to do the Arizona trail because it's, you know, more kind of established this desert. Um, they, you know, on the other hand, the Hey Duke also in the desert, but there's really no trail. It's just kind of a vague direction to follow. <laughs> yeah, it seems like it's sort of like, okay, you're going to go that way. Good luck. Yeah. It's just like head South until the third Canyon, then take right. And there's an old hubcap with a rock in it that, and that <laughs> means you've gone too far. Yeah. <laughs> it's still kind of that. And uh, yeah, there's not like established trails and uh, water sources and yeah. that can be kind of rare. And yeah, there's definitely other things to take in consideration when you're planning for it. Yeah. I think for me, the Arizona trails seems really interesting because I absolutely love the Grand Canyon mm-hmm. and it's that opportunity to, to go literally from, from rim to rim, um, as part of an overall trail. Yeah. I was about to say rim to rim and a lot more after that. Know, and then some more. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything. Oh, talking about, you, you were talking earlier about challenges. And mm-hmm. on the PCT, you, get, you did the 24-24-24 challenge. Yep. That was a fun one. How did that go for you? I crushed it along with uh, <laughs> two of our Canadian friends. So um, if you're ever listening out there, the 24-24-24 challenge is you have to drink 24 beers within 24 hours and hike 24 miles. So a lot of people just do the math and think, well, one beer an hour and one mile an hour is easy. But carrying 24 beers is extremely heavy. So you want to hike as little as possible with a full case of beer. So we wound up doing a power hour um, at, what is that lodge? There's a lodge soon after you cross into Oregon. I can't remember the name. South of Ashland. Man, I'm having, I'm drawing blanks. (laughs) Over the 24 miles of trail, we found this. But we basically did a power hour to get rid of eight beers right off the bat and really lighten the load. Then we got to the trailhead and then hung out for like another couple hours. And I drank, I think another four. So I was basically halfway done the beer amount and had hiked like 0.1 miles. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody you were was pretty it. drunk. Um, only me and Moose and Midge, uh, two of our Canadian trail fam, tried the full 24 challenge. A lot of others were like, I'll do 12 beers and 24 hours and 24 miles. But it it was just so funny just having everyone be drunk, trying to hike and stay in a group at, at first from this trailhead. And we made it maybe six miles and then people started dropping off to take naps and it was just kind of all over. <laughs> but we wound up making it, um, I think 14 miles that day. And then the next day I was down to just like six beers and 12 miles and had four or five hours to do it. So it seemed really easy. Our friend squirrel did this challenge on the Appalachian trail and he was very much against it because they said you can't sleep. And mm. I think if you want it to be a real challenge, that's how you have to do it. Cause sleep just gives you a full reset. You know, you, it's like you're not drunk anymore. If you have to do 24 throughout one period of being awake and all the miles in that time frame, that might've been more challenging, but you know, by then, Northern California, Southern Oregon, I was a hiking machine. My body was a furnace. I was metabolizing the beers like as quickly as I could drink them. <laughs> it wasn't wasn't too bad. So did you end up getting your 24 miles in 24 hours? 
Yep. Yeah, me and uh, Moose and Midge, we all finished it. And uh, the lodge that we ended it at, we're just like right there. And we had uh, maybe half hour to spare. We were just kind of trying to wait for everyone else to catch up and hope we didn't lose any soldiers on the way. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. What was the longest day, like hiking-wise, that you did? Um, it's kind of two. The, the longest I did on the CDT, and it was 50 miles. but. I think 37 of that was a road walk. So part of me feels like it doesn't quite count because it was just on the side of the road. Um, that was cool just because I wanted to beat my previous record. And also that was on the finish line of my northbound through hike. So it was ending in Rollins, Wyoming, which is also in the Great Basin and there's no trees. So I camped basically at the last area of trees, which was 50 miles on this road walk. And then snow hit right as I got to town or a couple miles before town. And um, I knew of this really cool bar called Hole in the Wall that I just went straight there. I feel like an old outlaw because snow was completely caked in my beard. And I was kind of like kicked the door open, looking all disheveled <laughs> and soaking wet. It's just like, I need a beer. <laughs> so I had my pack on and everything. And uh, prior to that, my record was the Forest Day Challenge on the Appalachian Trail. So that's about 43 miles, I believe. And it, I timed it to be on the summer solstice at first trying to do it all in daylight. So summer solstice would give you the maximum amount of daylight possible. And also the summer solstice is commonly hike naked day. So I did both. <laughs> so you got a couple of different challenges out there. Yep. And, uh, one crazy friend I made flatfoot uh, did it with me. And we, I mean, we did wear loincloths because going through Maryland and Harper's Ferry and there's just a lot of people. And we actually passed a couple of like field trips with kids. <laughs> so it was good to be, you know, just our butts out, not everything, you know, end up on a sex offender list just for trying to yeah. like, make it for a day. But that was, that was really wild. We didn't quite make it all in daylight, but um, I was, very glad to be taking a five day vacation in Maryland afterwards. Cause I had chafe from my pack straps rubbing on me. I had like a shin splint. I had broken my toe in Northern Virginia and that was really hurting. And like my body was just done. I almost passed out that night afterwards, like face down. It was, <laughs> it was a lot. So I was, I was really glad to, I guess after my 50 mile day too, because that was, I connected my footpath and then going home for a wedding. So in both cases, I was very fortunate to have a break afterwards and not more miles to make with a body that I just destroyed trying to hike so many miles in one day. What was your average miles per day? Um, what would your body I, stand? <laughs> varies a lot. Um, kept going up because, uh, you know, the AT is the shortest, but has the most elevation change. So that was my lowest average miles. I think it was 17 can't quite remember the exact ones because, you know, there's your total average. And then if you remove zero days or average, and then if you remove zero days and zero days or average, so there's always these different numbers that get thrown around. But um, yeah, I think AT overall was 14 and then 17 if you took out zero days. PCT, it was like 17 and 20. And then CDT, it was like 24 and 27. I was doing tons and tons of days. There's multiple times I'd be like, all right, 
doing marathon mileage every day or I'm trying to do three thirties in a row or you know, just keep it going. Cause I was, I knew I had all these zero days and off trail traveling to take care of. So I didn't want to lollygag too much. Cause you, you still needed to, you still needed to beat the snow, even though you didn't necessarily beat it in all places. Yeah. Um, yeah. I saw that. I saw that picture, I guess, when you're going into what was it? Rollins, like your beard is just, caked in yeah. snow and yeah <laughs> you look very uh mountain men-esque yeah and then the the pct was my biggest beard it was easily twice this because i had all my at growth i didn't cut it when i went back to my um engineering job so i looked like a complete <laughs> out of place mountain. i was just super shaggy and just over it <laughs> and then um yeah so the, the finished photos from the pct i just i look crazy mountain man and then going to teach ski lessons to children i trimmed it back a bit because i didn't think parents would want to send their kid off all day with some homeless looking dude so i trimmed it quite a bit (laughs) oh yeah well and i mean and people get pretty crazy looking when they start with nothing so to start with something initially and then go from there i mean yeah you're, you're talking what, mountain men, you know, middle of your chest yeah. <laughs> type of. Yeah, I mean, it got to the point I would catch it in zippers, like zipping things up, and I ah, so you know, tuck it up and. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant! Too bad you don't have uh, or Sea Lion Sea Lion doesn't have a video or whatever of that of you tucking it up to zip yeah. up. <laughs> well, maybe someone in our trail family has it, you know, in the back in the the doldrums in their phone camera roll that they never look at again there there might be one of me in the background doing it yeah that's one of those pictures that or that one of those video slash pictures that you know you take it on the day and it's funny just because it it is but that's one of those you know five ten years down the road when you look back at Mm -hmm. it you're like oh my god i remember that that moment those days (laughs) those were the days (laughs) let me tell you about this time i threw heights (laughs) exactly and I was catching my beard in the in the zipper. Yep. <laughs> Is there anything that we haven't talked about that we should? Ooh, um, I don't think so. Uh, you know, after, I mean, just one through like, you know, one person can get endless amounts of funny tales and jokes and stories and everything. And three of them, you know, I could definitely go on forever about them. So uh, if, unless there's any pinpoint you have, like, favorites or bests of or worst days best day. I don't know do you have any any questions like that or I have I do have a question about something that happened on the AT it was I guess it was trail magic it was pretty epic trail magic actually um the Appalachian pine mixer yep <laughs> saw that video <laughs> yeah so that what one was that is that he over mountain shelter in Virginia, which uh, unfortunately is closed now because the barn's about to just collapse. It's just very old and decrepit, but it was beautiful. And the Savannah College of Art and Design uh, for one of their final projects had to create a experience and design every single little facet of this experience. And this one group of students, somehow the professor uh, took them all on a field trip to hike part of the AT in Georgia, and they really liked it. They hit some trail magic, so they chose that for their their senior project was 
we are going to throw the trail magic of all trail magics and make it the best possible thing. So they picked the Overmountain Shelter because it's very scenic. They designed lightweight tables that looked like they had fancy tablecloths, but that they could pack out because the closest road was, I think, eight miles. Jesus. They designed their, their weight staff to have these fancy bow tie uniforms and white gloves and everything. They had someone play the violin to set the ambiance. They had a, a um, culinary student prepare a three-course meal. They laser engraved the menu on these wood slabs. And we almost missed it because our mileage worked out. We weren't going to camp there. It's 0.3 off trail. And you know me, I hate off trail miles. So I, I was just going to skip it. My friend said, Dabber Dan, like, come on, man. It's supposed to be the, the prettiest trail, or the prettiest shelter on the whole trail. Let's just go check it out. We thought, all right, why not? It's not that far. We'll go check it out. And right when we were about to leave, the first student showed up and said, hey, you guys should stick around. <laughs> thinking, what, why? What's, what's going on? And then the culinary student showed up wearing one of those tall chef hats. She's like, yeah, I'm about to cook some like gnocchi and salmon and brownies and salad. And whatever it's like, what? And sure enough, that's what happened. So they, this is unbelievable. We, we didn't know that this trail magic, because on the AT you had a lot. It's normally... I'll cook up some burgers. There's a cooler of beer and um, like some snack packs and chips, which is great and amazing. But this level of, you know, four course meal at a five-star restaurant type vibe, vibe, but out in the middle of the woods was just so surreal. And we couldn't believe that it happened. And also that because of my stubbornness, we almost just walked right <laughs> past it. So that, that was, yeah, something else. Never had a trail magic quite like that since <laughs> it looked it looked like you took a five-star restaurant and you just transplanted it out into a field yep <laughs> that's what it was that the, that class that students i hope they got an a plus on that, <laughs> that project because that, that was amazing they nailed it they they designed every facet of that experience and made it the perfect trail magic after having that type of trail magic requiring you to go 0.3 off the trail. <laughs> Did that change at all your view of going a little off trail? Not so much. <laughs> <laughs> like a little bit. I don't know. Kind of depends what for the off trail would be. Sometimes if it was, oh, there might be a good viewpoint over there. You get to a point, you're like, I've seen views, you know, <laughs> is it, is it going to be that much better or a few times you hike out there and then there, there's a cloud rolling in and the view is just not there. It's just whiteness or, mm-hmm. or whatever. So I don't know. I think that's maybe one of my flaws. I may have missed some other truly amazing experience like that because I didn't want to hike off trail. <laughs> and that in itself becomes the story. Yep. <laughs> Where can people find you? Uh, if they have any questions for you or if they want to follow your continued adventures, wherever that leads. Um, probably easiest way is search the hashtag space jam hikes. And then from there you can find my Instagram and blog. Uh, Cause I s- kind of started this before I had a trail name. So one of my nicknames was Grumanji because my last name is Grumman. And then it sounds like Jumanji. Cause I was always kind of an outdoor guy. So G-R-O-O-M-A-N-J-I dot com 
is my blog that has like a recap of my hikes and other adventures and some photos and videos. And then my Instagram is at Grumanji and my YouTube channel. Again, I started a really long time ago is the Grumanji with zeros instead of O's. So write all that down. Or if you just got to remember, if you're driving or whatever, Space Jam hikes, that should uh, be your, your gateway. Everything should pop up. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> On the AT, what was your what was your favorite moment? What is the thing that when you think of the AT sort of represents it for you? Hmm. One moment. <laughs> I know, it's so uh, hard. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. Um yeah, it's a really tough one. I don't know if I have, I have one answer. You know, there's so many, you know, like the best trail magic or like the best section or like the best kind of self-awareness you know like in maine um there's some stretches i wasn't with any trail families and it's just so rugged and secluded up there is kind of when i started to like look inward and have that kind of intro introspection and um you know just think about life a lot more and then there's other times it was super social like other trail magics there's one i wound up staying there for 18 hours because <laughs> i hit it at night and it was raining and they're like hey man you want to just camp out here we got plenty of beer we're gonna make pancakes and white russians for breakfast okay and then the next day they just turn it into a game like hey let's see how long we can keep space jam here and anytime i try to leave whoa dude let me get you another beer here you can have my reclining uh camp chair like where are you going and i finally had a like prison break out of there so at i think that's that's my favorite takeaway is the social aspects um you know, some of my friends I still talk to to this day. Um, I had a job interview in Denver, hung out with my friend White a few times. He's been living there. And yeah, I think overall for the AT, the social aspect is probably my my answer for you for, you know, maybe not a, a single moment, but just the single thing that I like best about the AT. And what about on the PCT? Hmm. I'd probably think... One of my favorite stretches was when we did the sunrise hike or night hike up to Mount Whitney for sunrise. And then, you know, I kind of threw off your sleep schedule, but then it was the next day or the same day we went over Forester Pass and sledding down the other side. And then soon after that was Cressage Pass to get off the trail and then get into Bishop. And when we got to the Onion Valley campground, there is no camp spots left anywhere. And we were just completely exhausted. And this one group kind of took us in like, Hey, our friends aren't coming tomorrow. You can use that tent site. Hey, Oh, you're through hikers. Like we'll feed you. We'll make you some drinks and just have a great time. And they're just, you know, super generous and super nice, great people. So kind of just that section, just everything seemed to fall into place and work perfectly. And it was one of those beautiful sections of the trail. It's definitely those times where you know you made the right choice coming out on the through hike. Unlike earlier, we talked about those unfortunate days where you're wondering why you're even there and it sucks and it's raining and it's cold or whatever. But that was definitely the flip side of that. And it was just, it was perfect. And what about the CDT? CDT. I really liked the dozen dip challenge. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, just through the Wind River range was insane and being able to to make those miles in daylight. The last one I was kind of running to get to before the sunset. Um, 
Uh, CDT is hard because the, the Wind River Range, the Gila River in New Mexico is another alternate route. I think almost everyone takes because it's just undescribably beautiful. And then, of course, Glacier National Park is uh, a very well-known go-to destination. But yeah, the CDT, definitely probably kind of those three melded in with just how remote a lot of the areas were when you really felt like you were out in the shit, you know, you're in the final frontier. There is no help. There's no hiker that's going to pass you. There's no group of kids on a field trip or anything. It's like, it's just you out there with nature and really felt cool to like, especially this day and age to escape society and people that much and not be, yeah, I'm through hiking, but you know, there's a pack of boy scouts a mile behind me and, I'm about to cross three roads today and hit a handful of trail magics tomorrow and then be in a town in a day. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not quite the same feeling. You you felt the frontier? Yeah. I feel like as, as much as you could without really, really going out there, like to Alaska, crazy bushcraft style, you know, surviving, just going out with a knife and <laughs> catch all my food and build on my own shelter. Yes, that that's truly the frontier, but I guess like the reasonable frontier where you can not have to go through all of that, but still truly escape feeling like you're in a civilized society. Being out that remote, did it ever make you pause and think if something happens out here, like it, I'm, it's all on me, like it is what it is. Cause yeah. there's, there's nothing coming. Yeah. A few times. Um, like you, you noticed, I seem to always climb everything I could find and jump yes. off in the water. And on the CDT, there was a lot of times I kind of had to pump the brakes and realize that might look fun to climb, but if I slip or a rock gives out and I get hurt, there's no one coming. You know, there's no partner hiking with me or group I passed earlier in the day. Who's going to be catching up. It's, I have no idea how long I'll be out here. Um, I did. That was the only trail I hiked with a little Garmin, uh, Garmin mini. So in the event of a real emergency, I could hit the SOS button and call for help, but luckily never needed to do that. I just used it to, to mark my campsite every night and then loved ones following me could keep up with the space jam tracker and see like, all right, he checked in. That means he's not dead or, He's making progress, you know, <laughs> Right. Yeah. he's moving along. He's, he's still conscious because he's putting in the, the marker. Yep. <laughs> um, in Colorado, there's a, uh, a Colorado trail hiker I met. His name was Daddy because he was seven feet tall. So anytime he was hiking with other people, it looked like he, he was taking his kids out on a hike. <laughs> but the um, we're staying at the... Ravens Hostel, I believe, in Lake City. It's a really cool hostel. And the owner was kind of frazzled. Hey, has anybody met a hiker named Daddy? Like, blah, blah. His dad's freaking out because his transponder like didn't move for two days. And that was unlike him. We can't get a hold of him, this and that. It turns out he came across some hunters who just caught a or shot a huge elk and needed help moving, like cutting up the meat and moving it. And Daddy had been a hunter. And they're like, you're a giant human. You can definitely help us get this meat out before it will expire. So he just stayed with him for two days and they promised to meet him down the trail when they had the, 
the elk processed and to give him like all the jerky he wanted and like all the meat. <laughs> so that was kind of funny hearing, you know, his dad kind of freaking out, like, oh my God, my son's not moving on his transponder. He's not marking. Like, oh, he's just helping hunters, you know, cut up an elk and move it. And getting rewarded very handsomely for his, his efforts. Yeah. I guess there there is, there's the upside and the downside of having that tracker. And so people are like, without being able to talk to you, like that's what they, they, all they see is that thing, um, mm-hmm. that little dot. Um, and they have to assume all kinds of things based on that little dot and what's happening with that little dot. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think overall, definitely nice to have on the, the CDT being such a remote trail. I know my parents were like trying to demand I get one for the AT. I was like, no, there's nothing that could happen where I will be by myself and another hiker won't be passing me within an hour. You know, I guess between all the through hikers, all the section hikers, all the day hikers, there's just so many people on that trail. You're never truly, truly alone. Yeah. I see you're also uh, wearing your, is that your Melly? Oh, it sure is. <laughs> this is kind of another um, CDT must do rite of passage is when you go to Leadville in Colorado, you got to swing by the Melanzana shop and get yourself a Melly because it's super cozy and comfy and warm and highly recommend it. <laughs> right. And they don't ship. Like, yeah. You have to come into the store. Yeah. It's, it's crazy how, how that marketing uh, <laughs> thing worked yeah. for them. They're like, not, nah, we're not expanding. We're just going to keep making X amount a day and sell out every single day. And um, so, yeah, I guess even when you are hiking, some of that's just luck. If they're going to have extras to put out, you know, you might have to take an extra zero day in, in Leadville, which is a pretty nice town. There's lots of you know, cool breweries, pizza huts, or not pizza huts, but pizza shops. Um, so it's a worthwhile town to stay in. It, worst, you know, worst places to take a zero. <laughs> yeah. After hearing everybody talk so rapturously about their mellies, like if I ever made it to Leadville, I would be there as long as it would take to get, um, to get my own mellie. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of my um, ski friends, uh, Neil, uh, was living there through the summer in the area. So he drove down to meet me and like, we went in the morning and I said, now nah, we're not going to have a batch for another few hours. And we checked back like multiple times until they finally put a set out and we just like grabbed two or three, like, all right, let's make sure I really like this color. And I was getting one for sea line for her birthday coming up in a month or two from then. And so, all right, well, yeah. And you make sure she likes the color first because I want to get her a Melly because they're so scarce and hard to get if she doesn't like it. So a little bit ruined the surprise for her. It's like, hey, do you like this color? Yeah, all right. All right, I'll take the blue one. You'll take that one. Good to go. But that's when you that's when you take a picture of just like a patch of it so she can see the color. So she doesn't know what it is yet. But I may have mentioned it to her. Think out the cat out of the bag. But hers, um, like the body was one color and the sleeves were another. Mm-hmm. So I guess I could have got on the line, but yeah. Yeah. In general, she loved it. So it was a good gift. <laughs> good choice. Excellent. Excellent choice. Thank you. Thank you. Um, when you talk to your friends, kind of, this is kind of the last question I have for you. It's right. like, now that you've done the triple crown, you've seen the three trails. When you talk to your friends or when, when people ask you about the trails, like I would imagine that it's very hard to summarize it yeah but there's also an attention span thing going on so like how would you 
explain what you did? Yeah, it's also really depends on on like the exact audience or friend. Um, you know, I have some friends that have been hiking, so we can definitely go into the more in-depth answers. Some friends, I think it's really cool and they would like to do it and would really just eat up all the knowledge you have to share. And then some friends that just think you're a lunatic and uh, you got to keep it a little shorthanded. But I think you nailed it. You know, there's there's just so many stories and so much to share. And just in general, unrelated to hiking, a lot of things remind you of some zany character you met or something you saw. And it's it's hard and sometimes kind of awkward because you also don't want to feel like this one time on this trail, this one time on this trail. So I'd imagine that'll get kind of old for for other people, you know. <laughs> So yeah, I guess to answer your question more directly, it's um really depends on kind of the exact friend and just knowing kind of their take and how they feel about hiking, whether they're going to be prepared for a more in-depth conversation or just kind of want a quick down and dirty story summary, cliff notes. <laughs> and then, yeah, then you got to, what is it? Read the room? Yeah, read the room. <laughs> gigantic thank you to Kevin for sharing his stories from the trails and Maya Wynn for the use of the song Try Again. If you want to see our conversation, we now also have a video version of this podcast on our website at hiking-through.com or you can go directly to our brand new Hiking Through channel on YouTube. On the next episode, I'll be talking with Emily on trail, known off trail as Emily Ford, about her long winter walk on the Ice Age Trail. I hope that this conversation these conversations inspire you to get out there and have a few hiker trash moments of your own or you know surprise some hiker trash with some cool trail magic i'll see you on the trail <laughs>